Good morning and welcome to our Daily Word and Prayer. My name is Tom Short, so glad to have you along today with us as we get into the Word of God here every day, talk about it, allow it to transform our lives, pray over it, and trust God we're going to become better people. I do believe that as a result of being here together in the Word of God, you will become a better person. I know I, I know that's the effect the Word of God has upon me. We're talking this week about some of my favorite places in Israel, and they come right from the Bible. I'm sharing some of these things. We have an annual trip to Israel, and some of you may want to come. I make the I, I hate to say that Israel makes the Bible come alive because the Bible is alive. It's already alive. But what it does is it helps us see it maybe from uh, living color into high-definition 4K flat-screen color, how this, the land of Israel comes alive when we visit it. So you might consider it. Check out my website if you are interested. But I've been going through my top 10 favorite spots. And today I'd like to talk about the house of Caiaphas. Now that's interesting because you might wonder, you might not even know who Caiaphas is. He was the high priest during the time of Jesus. And my number nine spot is where Jesus was taken to the house of Caiaphas on the last night of his life. Let's follow a little timeline here. After the Last Supper, Jesus went out to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed there. Of course, we know the lessons. We'll talk about the Garden of Gethsemane here within the next few days. It's one of my favorite spots. But there he was then betrayed and arrested. Judas betrayed him, brought a mob. They arrested him. They took him then to Caiaphas's house, for, the, for a mock sham trial in the middle of the night. The Sanhedrin had joined. They called it a kind of emergency session. And there the, the highlight of it, of course, was when they were bringing false accusations against Jesus. None of them were working. They couldn't find two witnesses to agree until finally a couple of guys said, he said he's going to tear down the temple and rebuild it. And uh, Jesus didn't even answer the silly allegation and their, their misinterpretation of what he was saying. They wanted to misunderstand him. He wasn't going to engage with them. Finally, Caiaphas says to him, I adjure you by the living God. Are you the Christ, the son of the living God? And Jesus said, I am. And from now on in the future, you will see the Son of Man come in the clouds of heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. Well, this was a reference to Daniel 7 where he was claiming to be the Messiah. Caiaphas tore his robe and said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy yourself. And they began to spit on him and beat him and hit him, mock him, ridicule him. And then the scripture tells us about Peter's denial out in the garden, out, outside of Caiaphas's house. He was warming himself by a fire. And of course he was accused three times, you're one of his followers, aren't you? And three times he denies it, and then a cock crows. Now, I did a little research on this because I'm trying to figure the timeline. And I've always assumed the cock crows when the sun comes up or is about to come up early in the morning. Actually, it's not true. The cock can crow any time, day or night. It can crow at sunrise. It can crow throughout the day. You've maybe heard a cock crow when you weren't, when it wasn't the sunrise, maybe in the middle of the day, cocks can crow in the middle of the night. Anytime, day or night, he can crow. And so this doesn't tell us what time it was. It just tells us 
that before that cock crowed, Peter denied the Lord three times. And when that happened, when he heard the, the crowing cock, Jesus turned and looked at Peter, knowing what he'd done. He denied him. and Peter went out and wept bitterly. The next thing we read in the Gospels, the next event is Jesus is taken to Pilate's house, taken to Pilate early in the morning in order to be tried. And so this raises a question. What happened between the time when, when the Sanhedrin accused him of blasphemy and they beat him and the cock crowed and the time that they took Jesus to Pilate's house? As you think about it, the Last Supper was probably ending early evening. It was probably dark there in Gethsemane. It was probably dark. But I imagine this whole event, this sham trial, was over before midnight. Remember, they didn't have electricity. They, weren't, they didn't tend to stay up late like we do. And then they took him the next morning. Let's assume it was 6 a.m. What happened between midnight and 6 a.m.? Well... Perhaps so I can show you what we think happened, and that was he was in a pit. In Pilate's house, of course, Pilate's house was, would have been destroyed. He had a beautiful house there looking over where you could see the temple. He was probably a, a wealthy, prestigious man, man of power. His house would have been destroyed when the Romans sacked Jerusalem in 67 but there was a church built upon the place where they believed it was, and underneath is this pit. Now, this is a picture of us down there in this pit. Now you can walk down by some steps, but in the, in the days of Caiaphas, there was just a hole in the hole above, and a person had been let down into this pit uh, via a rope, and then they could be lifted out via a rope. There's no other way in or out other than to be lifted down or lifted up. In here, there's light. Of course, then it would have been dark. It would have been night. There would not have been light there. And this pit is most likely, people believe, where Jesus spent probably five or six hours before he was taken to Pilate. What must have been going on during that time? What must he have been thinking during this time of in this dark pit, he'd been, he'd been, he knew that Sanhedrin, I mean, he knew what was coming. He knew in the Garden of Gethsemane what was coming. Now the Sanhedrin, the chief, the, the uh, chief priest, the high priest, had accused him of blasphemy. He knew they were just declaring that he was worthy of death. They'd beaten him. I'm sure it was. I'm sure he had pain. He'd been hit, probably bloodied. And here he is in this dark, damp dungeon pit for. I don't know, four, five, six hours alone. This is why a lot of people find this place to be one of the most touching places in Israel because it's as if they enter into the suffering of Jesus when, you, when you're down there. Psalm 88 speaks of a messianic psalm going down to the pit. Let's read it. You've put me in the lowest pit in dark places in the depths. Your wrath has rested upon me, and you've afflicted me with all your waves. Selah means stop and think about that. You've removed my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an object of loathing to them. I'm shut up and cannot go out. My eye grows dim from misery. 
I've called upon you every day, Lord. I've spread out my hands to you. But I, Lord, have cried out to you for help. And in the morning, my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I was miserable and about to die from my youth on. I suffer your terrors. I grow weary. Your burning anger has passed over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. They've surrounded me like water all day long. They've encircled me altogether. You have removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in a hiding place. These express the psalmist writing hundreds of years earlier, some of the feelings that Jesus may have been having in that pit that night. It was a lonely place. Indeed, Jesus was about to die alone. His disciples had betrayed him. Judas had betrayed him. His disciples had fled. Even Peter had denied him. The people had turned against him. The people who'd crowned him, hailed him as he rode into Jerusalem just a few days earlier, had now turned against him. Jesus was in a dark place, a lonely place, crying out to God for strength before he was about to endure the the suffering of the trial, the humiliation, the flogging, the scourging, the crucifixion. You know, if you've ever felt in a lonely place, if you've ever felt like you're suffering and no one's there for you, and sometimes you wonder, where's God? You don't even feel his presence. You don't feel his comfort. This may have been how Jesus was feeling at that time. He was in agony of soul. You know, the good news about the Christian faith is our God became one of us. He took on human flesh. And I believe that the various emotions and feelings and trials and difficulties you go through Jesus went through them. He was tempted in all things as we are, it says in Hebrews. And if you go through any of these emotions, maybe no one else seems to be able to understand them or or empathize the way you would wish. This is when we take it to God. And we realize that our Lord and our Savior, He went through the things we went through. And He can identify. And He can be the source of comfort. If God gives you earthly comfort and people who understand and are there for you, all the better. Never let them replace the Lord. Let God minister to you through these earthly friends. But trust me, if they're not there, if you have no one like that in your life, God himself can meet that need. And that's good news. Jesus understands because he's been through it himself. Father, we thank you for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and that, Jesus, you went through the circumstances of life. It's easy to think of you as as just you you never were really tried, you never really tempted, you never really, we knew you were going to prevail. It's easy to think it wasn't real, but it was. It was real. The temptation was real. The trials were real. The test was real. Jesus, as you sat or laid down, or I don't know if you slept that night in that dungeon that that uh, where they placed you, that dark, dark pit 
of loneliness and despair and hardship. I want to thank you again that you endured. You did not run. You did not give up. We, we thank you, Jesus, you didn't just start well, but you finished well. You finished in the Father's will right up to the last breath. You could cry out, it is finished. You finished well. And we see so many times when you could have given up. You could have turned back and you didn't. We praise you. We bless you. We're inspired by you, Jesus. We draw near to you. We pray for the comfort and encouragement that comes from knowing you in an intimate way. We bless you. In your, in, Father, we bless your son, Jesus. We love him. We're inspired to follow him fully. We give you this day to be like Jesus, to walk just whatever circumstances come our way, whatever trials, whatever testings, whatever victories, whatever joys. Might today be a day that we are praising you when we go to bed tonight as we are now. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Hey, thanks for joining me today. We're here every day. We come here, get into the Word of God, pray about it. We don't want to be once a week, once a month, once a year, or just when I feel like a Christians. We want to be Christians who are faithful to God every single day. We're serious about our Christian life. I'll bet you are too. And so I encourage you to come back every day. Make sure you're with us. We're at live, 8.30 every morning, but you can watch later in the day. Or you can even listen to the Apple, the podcast on the Apple, Spotify, or Google platform. Make sure you subscribe, hit the notify, tell your friends, tell your friends, invite them to be part of this. We need to raise up a mighty army of God, people who are in the Word and strengthened by it every single day. We want to be devoted to the teaching of God's Word. So thanks for being with me. I love you guys. And until we meet tomorrow, might the Lord bless you, keep you strengthen you, comfort you, make his face shine upon you, fill you with his grace, his joy, and his peace. I love you guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.